Today, we're going to close out Christmas stories. And I know Christmas is over. Be honest, how many of you have already taken down your decorations? Okay, so several of you. How many of you will they'll be down before the end of today? Yeah, okay. They would be in my house as well, but I have been overruled. They will stay up at least another six hours before I get my hands on them. But uh, I wanted to close out Christmas stories um, talking about new beginnings. Now, I don't know about you guys who are sitting up here on the front row. You guys are super excited. School will be back in in a week and a half, right? Yes. Okay. I heard one yes, but the rest were groans. So one of the things that uh, I remember about being in school that I used to love was the idea of a new semester. Isn't that great? Start over, fresh start. You may have bombed the last semester, but you know what? This is a new day. This is a fresh start. We get to do something different. Uh, and when you go into college, you get to do that as well. College is a little easier because I know some of you guys had homework over the Christmas break, and that teacher got coal in their stocking. But uh, in college, you have a break, and then you start the new semester. And I always loved that seasonal cycle of something new and fresh. Now, adults... You don't get many of those cycles, do you? No. You don't get to just stop what you were doing, finish, and then start something completely new. You don't get to do that. And instead, you do have these times when it is natural to have new beginnings, new chapters, a new way of seeing the world, a new way of seeing your life, a new way of understanding God's call on your life. And so I want to share within the Christmas story that there is a component of this story that is about new beginnings. Now, if we go back and look throughout the Old Testament, and you know we like to hang out in the Old Testament some here. It's something that we don't often study, and yet it is rich in what God has done. He was teaching many lessons in the Old Testament, and we need to know those, and we need to understand then what Jesus does with those lessons when he enters the scene. But as we look back over the history, and if you haven't read through the whole Old Testament, I encourage you to do that. If you haven't read through, you might not know exactly how all the pieces come together, because we often read it (coughs) as in Genesis came first, which it did. It may not have been written first, but it did come first in the timeline. But the books of the Old Testament are not laid out in the way that you probably have it in your Bible in a way that is chronological. It is broken up by genre. And so if we go back and we begin to understand what happened here and the next and the next and the next, I don't know about you, I take in that kind of information better than getting a bunch of pieces and then trying to fit those pieces together. I would rather just have it laid out in one good timeline. And that's one of the reasons I love whenever I do a reading plan on version. I always do the chronological reading plan because I love just continuing within the chronological order of the way things happen. Whenever we get to this point in the history of the Jewish nation, the history of Israel, that Jesus is going to be born, a lot of history has been going on. And for us to understand all the ways that Jesus is teaching us about new beginnings and new things, you have to kind of understand how long they have been living the way that they've been living. Now, there's not a scientific, perfect timeline of when everything happened. We, de- you know, we, we didn't start keeping a calendar when Adam was born, but it is estimated, and, and many scholars estimate, that between Adam and Abraham, which is, is really between Genesis 1 and Genesis 12, there is about a 2,000-year span or a 2,000-year period. 
So we're talking about a pretty good amount of development, of growth of humanity, the spreading out of people, the development of cultures that are happening but just between Adam and Abraham, roughly 2,000 years. Now between Abraham and Moses, where maybe many of you are more familiar with the history of Israel, you're, we're only talking about three or 400 years from Abraham when he was, <coughs> excuse me, Abram accepting the call to follow God and to go where he would lead him. It's only about three or four hundred years. But then we have this period from Moses to where Jesus comes, which is roughly 1,500 years, 1,500 years. Now, how many of you guys in the front row can tell me how old the United States of America is? Roughly, not quite 300 years. How old? Somebody do the math. It's, they're saying, listen, this is Christmas break. Do not be asking us math questions. Knox? We're talking about, like, after, I forget the name of the word, the, 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 the Jewish us in Britain, where we became... Yes, after the Revolutionary War. All right. Say that. Two four, thank you, Jeremy. All right, listen, from the engineer in the back. Listen, he can pull numbers out of his hat, right? 243 years. So we're talking 1,500 years from the period that the law came in. Moses walks down with the tablets and the law is established. Deuteronomy, Leviticus, giving those (coughs) codes or laws in which this is what it looks like to know God and to follow God. They've been following the process of the sacrificial system to atone for sins and to be made right with God roughly 1,500 years. Now, this is made complicated by the fact that Malachi is the last person to speak for God to the nation of Israel, which is somewhere around 400 years. So the last time a prophet has said anything new, it's been roughly 400 years. Now, this is why we find such a mess, and this explains why John the Baptist enters the scene before Jesus, because the nation of Israel is falling apart. You all should know by now that Rome has been overseeing the nation now for about 70 years, and they have not been ruling themselves. They haven't heard from God in 400 years, and they're starting to wonder, is God dead? Is God gone? Has he forgotten about us? They had all the prophecies. They had all the things that were supposed to happen, but they began to stop believing. In addition, with Rome coming in, Rome begins to put their own priestly network in place because they knew religion and politics were so intertwined in Israel. If we can control their religion, then we can control their politics. And so the, the priesthood is up for sale for whoever will do what Rome wants them to do. Now, through the years, there are those that get fed up with this. And so we have emerging on the scene new groups to say, we need to stay true to our faith, and we need to stay true to the teachings of Scripture, and we need to follow God in what He is saying. And what we discover is, this is the rise of the scribes, this is the rise of the Sadducees, this is the rise of the Pharisees, in which everyone is saying, I get it better than you Trust me to tell you how we should follow God. And it becomes an absolute mess. Have you ever been in an absolute mess in your life? 
right now. I am right now. You know, we had Christmas with relatives. It's a mess, right? No, that didn't happen, I'm sure. I'm sure it was wonderful. But in case it wasn't, we do find ourselves in real messes. And this is where the nation of Israel finds itself at the announcement that Jesus is here. So John comes on the scene, and as we look to John, John is such a critical figure because John is the prophet who is saying, return to the true faith. And at the point in which John is teaching, what is the true faith? What is it? Is it Christianity? It's not Jesus. Not yet. He will say that, but not yet. What is it? Judaism. John is trying to say, let's return to our faith. Let's return to what is true. Let's do away with all this, these ways that we've made this a mess. And he, his message and his continual sermon came out as this. Repent. We read about this in Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, it's important to know that the new system of salvation and redemption through Jesus Christ doesn't actually happen until the resurrection. So when we look at Jesus, Jesus was not bucking the Jewish system except for the abuses of the Jewish system under those who have abused the scriptures and have not taught them correctly. Jesus was an observant Jew. And so as we look at this story and as we look at this Christmas story we come into, we understand that John the Baptist is calling them back to true faith in God, even though we haven't heard him for 400 years, even though we are a mess, we are not governing ourselves, and we have all these religious groups saying different things, Repent. Return to what is true. Come back to the faith. But what he also shows us is that everything is about to change. And this change that he's bringing is not just a new beginning for them. It's a new beginning for us as well. In Luke 2, we read this at the announcement of his birth. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on the earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This birth of Jesus, this announcement, was an announcement of new beginnings. The old was passing away, and the new was coming. And I share this with you because some of you are coming into one of the best seasons of the year for new beginnings. And we all need them in some way or the other. A new beginning at school, a new beginning with friends. Maybe you need a new beginning with family members. Christmas didn't go so well. (laughs) Maybe you just need a new beginning internally. New beginnings over the stresses that you face in your work, your job, your 
daily existence. The new year often brings in the opportunity for new beginnings. Usually that new beginning as something is tied to our health. We're going to lose weight. We're going to get in shape. Perhaps it's financially. I'm going to get financially healthy. We're going to stop being behind uh, trying to pay our debts. We're going to get ahead. We're going to cut back. We're going to get there. We're going to make this happen. Maybe it's a new job. I'm tired of doing what I do. I'm tired of this. I'm ready for something else. Maybe it's a new position in your current business that you work. Jesus is all about new beginnings. And so as you begin this new season of a new opportunity for a new chapter, I want to encourage you just as John the Baptist encouraged, not that you need to come back to the faith because I believe you've left it. But as we enter into this season of new beginnings, let's enter it with true faith. The way in which Jesus came to bring us. We read about new things with Jesus all over Scripture, Old and New Testament. In Isaiah chapter 43, says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Talking about the coming of Jesus. I am doing a new thing. We read about many of the parables of Jesus. And Jesus talks about life with him being a new thing. In Luke chapter 5, they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new for he says the old is good this is one of the many times jesus is approached and challenged for the way that he leads and the way that he teaches and here we do see the difference between john and jesus john is teaching the old way come back repent to the faith prepare because the kingdom is at hand and jesus is saying but i'm here now you know i love this parable I don't particularly love the parable of the uh, putting a patch on an old garment because I did that growing up. Anybody have patches on their knees when they were growing up? Yep, yep, yep. Some of you may, even some today. We did that. They never looked right. We put them on our jeans because it wasn't cool to have holes in your jeans, right? It wasn't cool at all. Mom and dad did not like that. And so we bought these off-color, jean-colored patches um, that the pattern didn't match at all to go on your jeans, and it was super uncomfortable, and then you would have to go to school in your patched-up jeans. Not cool. You were not cool then. So I don't love this parable because it reminds me of not being cool. I mean, I've never really been cool, but, you know, that was pretty bad. But I'm still, I'm still not cool. Thank you, Herman. Appreciate you. Love you, brother. That was the peak of my not cool. So I'm less not cool than I was. You all are such an encouraging congregation. If you're our guest today, you can see what you're in for if you plug in with us because you will be encouraged to you know, conquer the world. Anyways, they really are a great group of people. 
But I do love the parable of the new wineskins. Not because I love wine. But we sometimes misunderstand what Jesus is saying here with the parable of the new wineskins. We sometimes think the skin is us. Skin's not us. The wine is us. We're new. We're, we're made new. Jesus makes us new. And he's trying to explain to, to them something they can't possibly understand. Even though this has been prophesied for hundreds of years, he's trying to help them to understand, I'm here doing something new in you. You are new. The old ways don't work for you anymore. And so as John teaches the old ways, stay true to the old ways, but prepare for the new. Jesus is saying now, the new is here. The new is among you. Celebrate that the new is here and recognize you cannot live in the way that you lived before if you are to be new. The whole package has to change. That means the way we live, the way we talk, sometimes the way we dress, the places that we go, behaviorally we change. It means our perspective, the way we see things, the way we see people or circumstances, struggles, stresses, problems changes because we're made new. The way we look out over the world and we ask, what is God doing? It's different because we're new. Everything has to be changed. Jesus constantly taught about new things. One of the struggles that we have is we live in a culture in which this new skin that we are to live in is not celebrated. In fact, the opposite is celebrated. As a church, we've tried to be relevant in different ways. And so one of the ways we try to be relevant is to say, we're not that much different from you. We talk the same way. We do the same things. We watch the same shows. We have the same music playing on our phones or our cars or wherever. And we've tried to tell a lost and dying world, we're not really different from you. And they got that message loud and clear. And with that message, there's no urgency and no desire to know Christ. Because, well, if you're just like me, why do I need that? And instead, we're new wine, meant to be in new wineskins. So as you enter into this new season, this regular part of the year, the annual cycle in which we think about new things, can we live in that way? New people, seeing things a new way, knowing that we are different, but we're not different in the ways that the church has tried to battle against. We're not different in the the sense that we want to judge you, that we want to say, look at us. But instead, we know someone that changed everything for us. We see differently. We walk differently. We experience the God of creation differently. It's different. He's real. The Holy Spirit is within us. We are transformed. We are completely new, different people than we were before, even though we still wear the same clothes and drive to the same house in the same car, go to the same jobs. You can do all those things and be a completely different person person. And it may be that some of you need to go to school this next semester as a completely different person. Maybe you need to go to work as a completely different person. Not because you have Christmas clothes, which I love Christmas clothes. I got this for Christmas, so I'm wearing it today. We went out to, we went to Dollywood with our family, 
And I said, hey, let's play a game. Let's figure out how many people here today have Christmas clothes on. <laughs> Everybody likes to go out and wear their new clothes, their new duds that they got for Christmas, right? But you could wear the same clothes, get in the same car, drive to the same job, and be a completely different person. Jesus says, I have come to make all things new. Sometimes we look at that and we think, oh, he just means when you get saved. So yeah, so you have that time and it's new and fresh and good and we're excited about that. But the reality is, is that Jesus is constantly making things new. Not just then, not just one time, not like I missed it. But it's a constant invitation. Be new. I have this other story of Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. And he really rattles some cages because they don't understand what in the world he's talking about. And John chapter 3 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you can do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. This idea, you are a new person. I think the people that get this the most are the people that are running from a past life the most. Mistakes that they've made. Heartaches that they've carried. Whole chapters of their life that they wish they could go back and and do it again or just erase. The truth is, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is you. You have been born again. Something new, something different. And that is not something to be afraid of. That is something to be celebrated, to worship God for, to say, I have come for you, and now I am making you new. The incredible story of this Pharisee wondering, what in the world are you talking about? And Jesus simply issuing the invitation. You can be made new. What does it look like to be made new in your life? What does it look like to be made new as you go to work tomorrow? To go back to school in a week and a half. What does it look like to be made new when you go back and see those family members that just honestly give you heartburn every time you're with them? What does it look like to be made new? Another story, we're not going to read it, that I love, and maybe for some of us in this room is is more applicable, is the prodigal son, because in the prodigal son, the invitation is just come home. Be made new again. Come home. It's an incredible story. We've spent some time on it, so we're not going to do it again today. But maybe some of you are feeling in this new season, it's time to come home. I've shared my testimony before. 
I grew up in the church. My parents were involved in every aspect of the church. I was one of the church brats, you know, that thought they owned the church. And I went to every, every time the doors were open, I was there, uh, which was for us three times a week. Uh, you all think you have it hard when we come once a week on Sunday. I was there three times a week. And uh, it's a blessing, right? You're thinking, no, it's not. Oh, it's a blessing to come here on Sunday mornings. Yes, I know it is. But I didn't think it was a blessing when I was a kid. And so three times a week I would go. And when I entered high school, I realized I had accepted Jesus at an early age for the wrong reasons. I didn't want to be new. I didn't want to be changed. I didn't want God to do anything within me. I just wanted to do what my friends were doing. And we had communion. My parents wouldn't let me take communion if I wasn't a believer. And so they got to eat during church, and I didn't. True story. But when I was, I don't know, about 14 or 15, I began to really feel that something wasn't right. As I prayed, I felt my prayers meant nothing. I felt like God was not anywhere near me. And even though I was baptized and I was a Christian and I went to Bible studies and I did all the things you were supposed to do, I knew there was nothing different about me inside. So I began asking questions. We went to a youth camp and it was at that youth camp that I finally said, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to be made new. I don't know what this looks like. I know what I've learned in church. I just know that you're real, and I want you to be a part of my life. And it began a completely different understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus. Completely different understanding of what it it looked like to go to church. I still don't like to go to church just to go to church. I like there to be purpose. I like there to be a reason. I like to go and grow. I've never heard a sermon I didn't get something out of. And it's not that I've heard all great sermons, just like you haven't heard all great sermons, right? You're thinking, well, we're not really on to one today either, but you're stay with me. Stay with me. But God always speaks when his word is spoken. And sometimes the sermon I walk out of a church with has, was not on the mind of the person giving the sermon, but God spoke. There's purpose in that. There's this, this freshness in walking with Jesus. There's this excitement that says he's alive and real and he's with me. He's invested in me. He's got a plan for me and I get to go with him. There's a difference in that and time to go to church. The prodigal son for me, and I wasn't really applicable when I was 15 because I don't believe I was a believer. Prodigal son is really about a believer that wanders and then comes home. And I wasn't a believer yet. But for some of you, maybe you have wandered. And this new season is to come back home. Maybe it's to refocus on that. Walk with Christ. No matter what has happened in your life, good or bad, whether you're responsible for it or somebody else is responsible for it, you are a new creation. You are a new creation. Paul talks a lot about this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When we are reconciled to God, we are a new creation. You are new. The old is gone. It has passed. And yet so many of us carry our past around like a weight with a chain that we can't get rid of. This happened. I can't get over it. I can't get past it. And sometimes it's not what we've done. Many times it's what someone else has done for us or to us. I can't forgive. I can't move past this. I'm stuck. And yet God is issuing a call. You are new. You're reconciled with me. None of that stuff matters. You're a new creation. Tell other of, others about it. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about the new self. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, which is one of the things that makes Christianity so unique among all world religions is the invitation to become like our sovereign God. Not to become our sovereign God, but to become like our sovereign God. One thing we'll talk about next week, which you are probably already aware of if you have read any of Genesis, is the fact that we were created in whose image? God is reconciling us back to him. And then he's inviting us. The law was all about helping us to be transformed into his image in an imperfect way in which we could never do it, saying this is what it looks like to walk with me. And Jesus came because we couldn't do it. And he's reconciling ourselves to him, and he is saying, now, follow my example. Be like me. That is a unique invitation from a sovereign God to a people To say, I think so highly of you, and I love you so much and so dearly, and I'm invested in you so completely that I want you to become like me. And if you are a new creation, you do not have to do that on your own. You do not have to read a book with five steps on how to become like God. You simply have to know that the Holy Spirit is working within you, and then you partner with the Holy Spirit in what he is doing. The Holy Spirit does so much within our lives, draws us to faith, brings us into the family of God, helps us understand Scripture, and gifts us to do incredible works within the world. The Holy Spirit changes the whole game for us. In the Old Testament, when we talk about people of great faith, they still did not have the Holy Spirit like we do. In fact, the only person that we know of that was filled with the Holy Spirit, not necessarily just moved, people were moved or they heard from the Holy Spirit, or, but the, the only time we hear of anybody filled with the Holy Spirit, the way we hear about it in the New Testament, was the man who created all of the first implements of the tabernacle, Basilel. The only person in the Old Testament said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that was for a task. That was just for a purpose. And yet you are filled for the rest of your life with the Holy Spirit to do all these things within you. It's a new self. Don't live as if you're still the old self. One of the last things that Jesus told his disciples was to go and to teach and to baptize. But baptism is also a symbol of new birth. 
Romans 6, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's the old passing away. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is new. It is a fresh start. See, Jesus is constantly saying, I want to make things new. Not only in you, but around you. Not only in your own life, but in the lives of people you come in contact with. Evangelism is not just we we go somewhere around the world. Sometimes it is talking to the person in the cubicle next to you. And sometimes it's inviting them to dinner at your house. We have this ministry of reconciliation. I want to encourage you. I don't know what your New Year's resolutions are. I've stopped making them. I'll be honest. I stopped making resolutions. I've not kept a single New Year's resolution that I've ever made in my entire life. So I don't even make them. I think they're counterproductive for me. Not for you. You go ahead. They're counterproductive for me. It's like me setting myself up for failure. Like I'm going to lose weight uh, starting tomorrow. Oh, we still have Christmas cookies. Okay. I set myself up for failure, right? I'm going to read my Bible for an hour every morning. Oh, oh, I think I'll sleep in this morning. They set me up for failure. New Year's resolutions. What's, that's one I don't make. I do, do, I do read a lot of Scripture in the mornings. I encourage you to do the same. It is, I've just learned that changes your life so completely and fully. But I don't know what your New, Year, New Year's resolutions are. I guess some of it is we're going to save some money. You know, the average person at the end of Christmas will pay off Christmas debt. It will take them five months to pay off their Christmas debt. We don't do that. Nope. Kids don't get as much as some of, some other kids get because we're going to pay cash, and that's it. We're not going to put it on a credit card. Some of you, you're, they may be, we've got to scale back. Kids, we're not eating out again. In fact, only two meals a day for the next three months, okay? That's what we're going to do. Let's, then that's okay. Remember, the parenting goal number one for all parents is to keep your kid alive, okay? All the other ones that all the other books tell you that you're supposed to do for parenting, let me tell you something. Uh, if, if your kids are still breathing, listen, parenting win, number one. That's your main number goal. That's your main goal, okay? All right, that's where you, that's where you want to be. That's where you want to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My kids say, I'm hungry. You already ate today. But that was this morning. Listen, you're not promised three meals a day. That's not in any contract anywhere for parenting anywhere, all right? If, but some of you, are, you're, gonna, you're kind of recovering from Christmas debt, right? Some of you are recovering from Christmas time because for you, a Christmas gift is everyone leaves the house and leaves you in it alone, right? Can I get an amen from a few of our introverts in the room? Yes, that's me. Listen, y'all go. Have fun. No, really, stay a long time. I'll be fine, right? And you just want time. And so your New Year's resolution is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in me. <laughs> you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take some time for me. And, and maybe some of you need to do that. Maybe your New, <clears throat> new Year's resolution is, is uh, it's time for a change. And I'm going to find a new job. And, and I'm going to start looking. I'm getting my resume ready. And I'm going to find out if I need some more training. And I'm going to take and go and do that if that's what I need to do. Maybe your New Year's resolution is it's time for a change. I just want to encourage you 
in a few ways as you think about this new season. This is a natural place. I'm doing it. I'm thinking about 2020, which is incredible. I love 2020. I love that, you know, I'm, I'm tired of the teens. I'm ready for a new decade. It's a new decade. It's a new year. I'm thinking about what do I want the next 10 years to look like. But I would encourage you to not just approach it in that way. I want to encourage you to refocus on things that matter. A lot of times when the holidays hit, sometime around mid-November through the end of December, it's sometimes like we're, we're living a script that we didn't write. We've got to do these parties. We've got to do these things for work. We're doing all these secret Santas. We've got to shop for the kids. We've got Thanksgiving meals to do and Christmas meals to do. And we've got all this stuff to do. Now the kids are out of school. Who's going to take care of the kids? Refocus on the things that matter. And this takes time. And this takes quiet. And this takes a lot of prayer. God, show me what really matters. As you come into this natural time, and it's not just a new year, but a new decade, we focus on the things that matter. And remember this, that everything, everything, everything for every new creation, everything is about Jesus. Everything, everything, everything. Your job, your attitude at work, your attitude at school, how hard you work on your homework, whether you procrastinate or you plan ahead, all of it is about Jesus. Whenever you come in, the quality of work you do, your work ethic, when you're a new creation, that is about Jesus. That is not about you. You know, Mark, how do you have such a great work ethic? Which, not that many people say that to me, but whoever, put another name in there, Bobby, you know, I don't know, Fred, or I don't know if there's a Fred in here. Fred, what's up with your work ethic? It's all about Jesus. This is what Jesus wants. It's all about Jesus. See, for 400 years, the Jews had not heard from God. And they wondered, are you dead? Does this matter? Is this real? Does any of this mean a thing to us? And John the Baptist had to come in and people were so hungry to believe. And he said, just repent. Kingdom of heaven is here. And by the thousands they came to hear this crazy man in the desert eating off the land, wearing sackcloth. Incredible story of what God can do when a people turn to him. Everything is about Jesus. When you wake up in the morning, your day is about Jesus. When you go to lunch, it's about Jesus. When you have a work meeting and you're in charge of the meeting, for you, it's about Jesus, which does not mean that you need to break out your Bible and tell everyone the story of Christmas every time you have a meeting, unless you're a church, right? When you don't do that, it's your work meetings. Unless you own the business, then you can do that, I guess. And everything's about Jesus. When you get that phone call that you didn't want to get, it's about Jesus. Your response is about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. The way we dress, the way we walk, the way we talk, the people we include, and the people we refuse to exclude all about Jesus. 2020 for us is all about Jesus. It needs to be. As a church, as a community, as families, 
That has to be the first thing on our minds, the first things that we think through. One thing that Deidre and I do at times is that we also do mourn what has not turned out how we had hoped. It is not a lack of faith to mourn what has not turned out how you had hoped. Maybe the career is not what you thought it was going to be. Maybe living this life was not the way you thought it was going to be. When we were all kids, we all had grand dreams. It's a shame that those tend to die as we get older because God often wants to do something new in our dreams as we, as we get older. But sometimes, oftentimes, it just doesn't work out. I'm excited. Top Gun's coming out again. It's a very formational period of my life. I was going to own a motorcycle. I was going to be a fighter pilot, you know. I was... What was that about? <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I couldn't see. I got bad eyesight. I'm tall and I'm overweight. But I was going to be a fire pilot. Stop laughing. Seriously. Hurt my feelings. <laughs> Sometimes you have to mourn what's not turned out as you hoped. Maybe you had mapped out what your life was going to be with kids. And they were going to be perfect. And they were going to sit there and love you and say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And they were just going to, you know, uh, you know, dad needs some quiet time. Okay, we'll sit in the corner and be quiet. Maybe that's what you thought it was going to be, and you learned very quickly. That's not how this works, <laughs> you know. I don't know. Mourn what hasn't worked out the way you hoped it would. Maybe you thought your marriage was going to be just magical. And you found out it was work. And you got to mourn the fact that it, it, it is magical at times, isn't it? Even through the work. And the work creates those moments of magic in those relationships. But, but it does take work. And sometimes your spouse doesn't go along with you like you think they should. And then you grow through that. Sometimes you have to mourn what has not turned out how you had hoped. Maybe in your faith, someone told you, that you were going to be a superstar in your faith. And everyone you talked to was going to come to faith. Just in seeing you. Just like the apostles would walk through the city. And people would touch their garment to be healed. You thought, this is what I'm called to. And you found out, that's not what's happening. Maybe you need to mourn that. Deidre and I also take time to celebrate what has come before. What is good. What we are excited about, what we are thankful for, because celebration of what is good helps mitigate the mourning of what is not so good, because thankfulness overcomes mourning. Celebrate what has come before. Let me encourage you. <clears throat> Follow Jesus into the next chapter that he has planned for you and be open for that to be anything. Absolutely anything. He could call you into ministry. He could tell you to move around the world. He could tell you to do something different where you are. Quit your job and start something new. Follow him there. Follow him there. 
Because he has something for you. Jesus is constantly making things new. Within my life, I can look back and, and I can see time and time again where I just, I hit a wall and I'm like, what's next? And Jesus makes something new. It's amazing. He's always doing that for us. And not just for the people we deem as super spiritual or, or in some kind of ministry position. This is what he does in the lives of the people that he loves, which is you. He loves you and he wants to do something new. He has something planned for you, but you've got to follow him into it. And we have to resist the urge to set our New Year's resolutions the way that we typically do, which is what do I want? You want to be frustrated in your walk with Christ? Make it all about what you want and you will be utterly frustrated for your entire life. But when we begin to give up and we submit to say, what is your plan for me? My plan for you is to get laid off this year. <sighs> That's going to be one of those mourning moments. <laughs> We're going to mourn that. We're not going to celebrate that one, but okay. Okay. And I'm going to trust that you've got something else for me then. Follow him into whatever that new chapter is. I will tell you, you will never be at more peace than when you are where you know Jesus wants you to be. There is just a peace there that exists there that you cannot replace with anything else. You can't medicate your way there. You can't pretend to be there. You can't build it up in your mind, this world that's not real, and feel this peace when you are where Jesus is and where he wants you to be. There is a peace that lives there that says, i got to stay here in this place. And I don't know where that place is for you. I just know that that Place is found by following Jesus is the best we know how. And the grace of God is one that says, you know what? You're trying the best you can and you're really messing it up. But I see what your heart is. I see your heart and I'm going to draw you there. And it may be take longer and it may be harder. But listen, I'm not giving up on you. I'm drawing you to the place because I have a plan for you. Follow Jesus into the next chapter that he has planned for you. For some of you, maybe you feel that (laughs) I know what the next chapter is, and it is taking forever to get here. I know what it is. I know what I'm working for. I know I heard God, and we're headed there, but it is harder and taking longer, and we're exhausted. And God, I'm just, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's the promotion going to happen? When's the thing, when when are we going to have this, you know, we're going to overcome this physical problem that we've got in our lives or this financial problem we've been trying to dig ourselves out of when's it gonna when are we gonna get there and if that's you and that's where you are entering into this season and you don't even feel like you can plan for anything new because you're still dealing with all the old stuff god still has a plan for you isaiah 40 31 they who wait for the lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint be patient god is working you are a new creation the holy spirit is not only around you but in you throughout you god is working in this plan for you this christmas story we're closing this series out recognizing that jesus brought to a group of people that were on the verge of giving up new hope This announcement of the birth of Christ was to say what you've been waiting for, it's here. You and I struggle to fully understand what that would be like because he's always been here for us. Maybe we've not seen it or recognized it or believed in it, 
But we've never had to live without the knowledge that Jesus Christ has come. But let us fully live into that. And let this new year that you come into. Listen, let me just say one thing. I, I, try, this is, I haven't ranted at all today. Let me just rant a little bit. All right? Just a little bit. Not a lot. Just a little. There are so many churches and pastors talking about finding your destiny. And it's just the thing about those is that almost every one of them, your destiny is a more prosperous, comfortable life. I just tell you that's not where God is. Not that you won't be prosperous or comfortable at times. But your destiny is to conform to the image of Christ. So we, we can do away with all the talk about destinies. You don't even need to say destiny. Because we interpret that each individually as what we want. Your destiny is to become conformed to the image of Christ and to impact the world around you for him and to experience his work within you so fully and completely that at the time we see Jesus face to face, we just open our arms and say, finally, we made it. We're here. He's with us. Because we have so fully lived into what he has called us as his people. Don't reach out into this new year looking for your destiny and your destiny being all about your comfort and, and prosperity. Reach out into this year becoming the person Jesus died on the cross for you to become. Fully experience his presence within your life. And live that out in this new year. I'm looking forward to doing that with you in these coming months. We have a lot happening in these next few months. A lot of things I'm very excited to be a part of. And I'm very excited that you're a part of. Let's follow Christ together into this new chapter. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for the calling that you have for every person in this room that calls you their Lord and Savior. I thank you for the new beginnings that we have because of you. I thank you that no matter all the things we may mourn because we had a different idea than what you're doing, that you are working something new and fresh in us. I pray for those in the room that may be anxious about heading back after the Christmas holidays, to wherever, to work, to school, whatever they have to do. And they can go fully confident that you are with them, that you are working in them, and that you have a plan for their lives. I thank you for the good news that Jesus Christ was born. I thank you for his teachings so that we can see what it looks like to become more like you. Thank you for his obedience to die on a cross. That he was fully God so that he could rise from the dead and grant us salvation. Through him and him alone. Father, help us. To follow you faithfully into this new chapter in this new year, this new decade. As a people, as families, as individuals and as a church. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.